Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into her side, Chief. We was coming back from the island of Tinian to Leyte. We just delivered the bomb. The Hiroshima bomb. 1100 men went into the water. The vessel went down in 12 minutes. You didn't see the first shark for about a half hour. Tiger. 13 footer. You know how you know that in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail? What we didn't know was that our bomb mission was so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. Sort of like the old squares you see in the calendars. You know, the infantry squares, like in the old calendars, like the Battle of Waterloo. The idea was the shark come to the nearest man. That man, he starts pounding and hollering. And sometimes that shark go away. But sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark looks right at you, right into your eyes. The thing about a shark is he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, he doesn't even seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then and you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red. Despite all your pounding and your hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, I lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks there were, maybe a thousand. I do know how many men. They averaged six an hour. And then that storm hit. First it was just a bit of rain, chief, you know, with the thunder and the lightning. But then it was something else. Cyclones, they call them. Like a tornado, but on the water. They start spinning, pulling in all sorts of things. Like sharks. And now you're really done in. Can't be in the water. Sharks in the water. Can't keep above water. Sharks are up there too. The storm chief lasted maybe a couple of hours, but it was enough. Thursday morning, chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. He's a baseball player, bosun's mate. Thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. He bobbed up and down in the water. It was kind of like a top. He upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. At noon on the fifth day, Lockheed Ventura swung in low and he spotted us. A young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hoobreer. Anyway, he spotted us, and a few hours later, a fat PBY come down and started to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened. Waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again.
So 1,100 men went into the water. 316 men come out. Sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Alrighty, good evening ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Culture Lust. We have a special episode for you tonight. A while back we mentioned we got Sharknado. We kind of held off on the episode because I was trying to work out some things with getting a special guest. And tonight is the night. It's what we've all been waiting for. I'm James. I'm your host tonight. Jones, how you doing, man? I'm so excited. Let's do this. <laughs> Chris, how are you? Uh, couldn't be better. That's, that's good, man. Scott, unfortunately, could not join us tonight, but in... Actually, we might just make him a full-time replacement. We are joined by Anthony C. Ferrante, the director of the Sharknado franchise. Anthony, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have you on. Um, like I said, we kind of held off on this episode for quite a while. Um, you, you had some scheduling things going on. We had our own scheduling things going on. We're finally able to make it work. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get going. Sharknado. Tell just how, man. How how did this thing explode to, into what it is? <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of it is just uh, think things just happen out in the ether and, and stuff. You know, just it was the perfect uh, combination of uh, title and people looking for something kind of light and frothy on the Sci Fi Channel that summer. I mean, the the title. Um, I, I did a lot of. I, I, my background is horror, uh, and I also have done a lot of little kind of comedy shorts and stuff, but um, I was the horror guy for the longest time, and for Sci-Fi Channel, my first film was a horror film called Boo, and then I did Headless Horseman for Sci-Fi, and then I wrote three or four, like, you know, just straight horror scripts for them, you know, uh, ghost stories, that kind of stuff. So whenever they wanted something from me, they would always come, hey, we got a banshee, let's go to Anthony, or we need this, come up with the <laughs> leprechaun thing. And... Um, uh, you, what you do when you pitch to sci-fi is, you know, the, you work with different companies that have output deals with them. And they go, come up with uh, 10 random ideas. And so uh, my occasional writing partner, Jacob Hare, and I, uh, were we were doing some of the horror stuff. And then I just said, you know, we got to let's come up with the most ridiculous movies. Let's, let's pitch something that's outside of what I normally do for them. And I remember Jake going, Sharknado! And so... Uh, so we, we, we threw that into the pitches with, um, uh, Lava Birds, which is the other one. And, but the, the thing with Sharknado <laughs> is we, we, we love, you know, birds that spew lava, but Jake and I- Is there I, a future <laughs> for that one? That sounds hilarious. Is there a future for that one? I don't know. But they kind no. of, they did Lava Lantula, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> again, these were just kind of a fluke idea, but the thing is, is we fell in love with the Sharknado idea and we started actually talking about, oh, what are we trying to do this on our own if they don't do it? And I think that at some point it was pitched to the network, uh, uh, like not as Sharknado, but Shark Storm, so or something like that. Uh, and uh, I was writing a script for uh, for sci-fi uh, called Leprechaun's Revenge, which is now I think called Red Clover on DVD. 
And in that script, I made a reference to a Sharknado where the town was kind of covering up the leprechaun and they said something to the effect that we don't want to have what happened in that town over. Remember Sharknado? They never lived that down. At that point, sci-fi saw that term and they go, we want to make this movie. And so then they start, you know, as, as happens, they think we're starting to talk to Asylum and, and all this stuff. And there was a hesitation with me because I was the horror guy. But Asylum, who had just done a movie for uh, Hansel Gretel, they kept pushing me uh, to be the director on this thing. And so when that finally happened, uh, uh, there was two things that I set out to do. It's like, I, I, and I remember saying this specifically, I said, I want to, I want to break the sci-fi model so they can never make another movie like this after that, because I, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was just, it was kind of a joke. But the thing was that a lot of times with these movies is that, you know, there, there's a very minimal budget, but they're afraid to kind of push it to the, to the next limit. Like, yeah, we could do this. We could do this, you know, but it's like, ah, that seems to be too scary, but asylum, they're not afraid. They actually want to make a $200 million movie for no money. And so uh, it was kind of like a perfect marriage in that, that sense. Um, And so I took the script uh, that was written and uh, basically kind of overhauled it and did a whole bunch of stuff to it and kind of made it really uh, silly and goofy. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of my dry sense of humor in there um and also because i come from sort of practical makeup effects this was the first huge visual effects movie so i was thinking in i was thinking of how this thing was being constructed in both ways of i know they're going to add visual effects but what can we do practical which resulted in things like hey let's build a uh, a house set in a swimming pool and then flood it <laughs> instead of doing it all right. digitally <laughs> and so we filmed yeah. out in van nuys we did this there's this empty pool, you know, community pool. And, you know, for buck 95, they built sort of this thing that was kind of very creaky. And that's the, the living room scene where they're all in there. And if you notice, it's kind of shot in an odd way because yeah. the production, the production design guys, uh, their, their team basically abandoned them. They, they said, Oh, we'll do oh, this. They, and they, they didn't finish it. And so my, my, we got out there, my production designer was out there with his art director and like, they just, they just left. They, they, they just bailed on the project and it was sort of half finished. So it was kind of like, you know, you have one, if you think about like things as squares, it's like one goes this way, then it goes up and then it goes down and across. And then it go it's like this weird, like it wasn't even like consistent. It wasn't like a solid, like top and bottom. And so, um, I, I, I remember we were with my AD and I were just like looking at this going, we're screwed. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to be shooting in like, like three hours and we don't have a set. It wasn't even painted. It wasn't deck set decked or anything. And oh, wow. the first night was supposed to be the, the stuff that wasn't flooded. And the second night we would flood it. And so I said, okay. Uh, so I said, okay. So we told the production design people, you go and figure this out. Go, go, go and do what you can. I'm going to go back and sit in a, in a closed room for the next two hours and rewrite everything so it can work with this limited space that we have of what we can see and can't see. And we figured it out and made it work. And I mean, it, and for the most part, I mean, no one thinks that's a set built in a swimming pool and we were very clever in how we did it, but it was that right. kind of like, you know, taking, taking, uh, the perspective of I've, how do how do we do this and create it practically and not rely on digital effects as much as possible, knowing that there's going to be a ton of digital sharks later, and so that that was sort of the balance in there. And so you know I got really excited that here is a chance to kind of I can do the horror, but I could also kind of have fun with it. And 
the thing about it is, is that the characters, there's an, everybody calls, says the movie's campy, but I think you have to look, camp to me is everybody's in on the joke. And the, char- yeah. the characters in Sharknado are never in on the joke. There is comic relief in the form of someone like John Hurd, you know, Jason Simmons in the first movie. They, they, they definitely bring some humor to it and some of the quips that maybe, you know, Ian might say. But for the most part, they're treating it like any kind of natural disaster. And that, I think, is, right. that is where the humor comes from because it's played straight. And then everything to do with the Sharknado can be completely crazy and off the charts uh, nutball. And so, so one thing that oh sorry go no, ahead no 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 so I was gonna go back to you're asking why did it blow up so yeah so we made this movie and again this is definitely something very different from everything I'd ever done but Asylum in Post was like you know as long as you stay on budget it's fine it's like well I need to go get shoot some stuff with a GoPro out and, well it's fine you don't have a crew just take the GoPro and go shoot and we would just keep shooting little inserts and pieces and stuff trying to make the you know because we had only 18 days to shoot the movie. And that so, is so, so crazy. So, so we went out and did all this additional stuff to try to make the movie better and, and, and you know, tie everything together. And, and you know, just little inserts help a lot. And so once we kind of got through that, um, I, I showed it to a few people. And um, I, I remember we kind of watched the film completed with all the visual effects like two weeks before it was going to air on sci-fi and was there with one of my editors and a friend we just had a blast watching it and uh, i said this a ton of times but it was after it was over i said i think i've made the weirdest sci-fi channel movie ever made <laughs> i think if we're lucky you know in five years it could be a cult film and i think yeah. we probably made the greatest stoner movie ever made right <laughs> and, and the weird thing is, is that I, the, for some strange reason, like we started hearing a lot of stuff uh, kind of, po- you know, percolating beforehand. Like a, my, my editor was telling me that I was in 7-Eleven. People were talking about Sharknado. I'm like, yeah, right. That Like sci-fi channel movies have their audience. That's the thing to understand. Right. It. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. I, I'd, I'd written a bunch of them. I'd have some stuff air on there. You get people. It's a lot of people that watch it or a lot of people that like it. Or and sometimes nobody shows up for it. It's they do. They've done two. They had done a I think at least 250 movies at that point. So it was very, very specific audience. It ebbed and flowed. And you had some breakouts like Sharktopus, but that was within the sci-fi community, not beyond. And so right. here was this thing that was getting attention beyond. The, and it just seemed like, okay, that's kind of odd. And then I, I incre- we put out the music video for the Ballad of Sharknado. And then we did a lot of grassroots stuff because my background is journalism. So I kept kind of, you know, seeding things and putting stuff out there. And I convinced uh, Asylum to put out their trailer for Sharknado a few days before the airing. Because normally sci-fi likes to show their trailers, which are very short, like 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. And they relented and said, fine, whatever. You know, you go ahead and put it out there. And their trailer, it made it look like this huge, gigantic, crazy, like, I don't understand how this is on sci-fi channel. And also you're daring people to watch it because usually when you see a trailer like that, you're going, well, that's all the best stuff in the trailer. I want to see how they right. fail and not living up to this premise. As a matter of fact, I don't even watch movie trailers anymore for that exact reason. I haven't watched a movie trailer in almost six years. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I refuse at this point because like you said, they put all the good stuff in the trailer and it makes me not want to watch the movie anymore. So, I'm sorry, Star Wars trailer comes out tonight, so I'm going to watch it. Well, that's, yeah, that's yeah. all you, brother. <laughs> so, so we put that out there and I think it, it kind of like it was a summer where there's a lot of depressing movies like uh, in the theaters. And here's mm-hmm. this thing that was free on a, on a, uh, a Wednesday night or Thursday night when it aired. I think it was a Thursday night. And so 
people showed up and we were going to do live tweeting. And I literally thought I'm going to be on there just telling people how we made the movie. And I was just going to get like, you suck Ferrante and all this other stuff. <laughs> and that, 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 you know, and I'm just going to have that. Yeah. Okay. I suck. Fine. And, and, and so I kind of expected that, but then all of a sudden we're seeing Twitter go, you know, back crap crazy. And I mean, it was, it was, ins- right. it was insane. It was like, <laughs> and like Mia Farrow was doing that. People are yelling out. The, I was with my family and, some friends and they were telling me what was going on. I was actually doing a live chat with Justin Beam on another thing talking about the movie. And wow. at the, after it was all over, uh, you know, I, I, I remember turning to my wife and I said, like, something just happened, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> like, this doesn't, this, this is not, I was, it was clear it wasn't normal. Here on the on the West Coast, you know, we get the New York uh, feed, and then uh, we get the you know, so we get all the New York feed. So I think it started at six or five or whatever it was, and so I I saw the the first screen of my family, and then I was going to go over and hang out with my production designer and some of the crew to watch the second airing. So I was driving there after that first screening, and I get a call from BuzzFeed saying, oh, "I want to talk about Sharknado." I was like, first of all, how did you get hold of my number and why?" Right? <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> yeah, and so I go fine, you know. And so we started talking about it. And then all of a sudden I, I get a call while the other screenings going on that CNN wanted to talk to me in the morning. And then it just kind of dominoed there. And that day wow. after I did all of these interviews and it just became this cultural phenomena and it, and it broke Twitter. And I think what it was, was that we, you know, a lot of times and, and no disrespect to any horror movies, cause we all go into these movies and make the movies that we make, you know, and I, I mm. love what I do and I like trying to make fun things and I like trying to make scary things. But I think when people watch Sharknado, it, it was confusing because it's like the movie was just completely insane and crazy. And it was, and, and uh, Robbie Rist, who I wrote uh, Ballad of Sharknado with uh, the songs, I do a lot of stuff. He told me it's a movie that doesn't know it can't do that. And I right. think there's this sort of charm about this movie because it, you look at it and you go, they're trying really hard and they're coming close to stuff and, and they don't care. They just keep going for it. And it feels like a movie, but it's like, you know, it's like it, it just doesn't, you know, we're, we obviously have some of the CGI isn't perfect. And, you know, we had 18 days to make the movie. But with that 18 days, we crammed a lot of stuff in there. And it also just has this odd sense of humor, which has always been my sense of humor, which is just it's very dry. And it's just it's it's just it's, it's cracked just a little bit. And you see it in a lot of the stuff in there, the Hollywood sign thing we added. Uh, right. You know, there's there's a lot of that. The bar, yeah. the bar stool thing Jake and I came up with, uh, like we were trying to come yeah. up with something funny, like, like, well, what would he use as a weapon? Well, bar stool <laughs> is- a shark with a bar stool. Yeah, well, yeah. I, but it's his bar stool. He's not going to leave. Like, it's his bar stool. It's yeah. not going to, if the thing's getting destroyed, I'm taking my bar stool with me. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, so uh, was... and the third, and the last thing, the third, sorry, I'm babbling, but the third no, thing- No, no, you're fine, the, you're fine. The, the third thing that I think was the last piece of the puzzle is the fact that you had Ian, Tara, and John Hurd were people that were not uh, um, overused in these movies. In fact, when you saw their names, you're like, well, what are they doing in a film like this? Yeah, and so sure. it, they elevated it. Once Tara Reid became involved, it, it elevated Ian, it elevated John Hurd, elevated it. So it, it was a curiosity factor. And I think what happened is people went into it probably wanting to hate watch it, and then they just mm-hmm. found themselves enjoying it and people that say they hate it i think secretly they really love the movie they just can't bring themselves to admit that they like the film all right so not, not to kiss your ass but <laughs> that's what i thought we we drew this movie randomly and we watched it and i'm like 
I don't want to watch this. And I watched it and I laughed the entire time and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. No, thank you guys. No, I, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's kind of what I want to talk about was the expectations. Um, Cause you mentioned the, the year that, you know, this came out in the summer of 2013 and there was a lot of big movies that were out that year. Uh, Lone Ranger had tons of marketing leading up to its release. And in my opinion, it kind of flops. And I'm wondering how much of that for, you know, your success versus Lone Ranger flopping in terms of, there's just expectations. People see this big budget movie with all these marketing and you got Johnny Depp in it and all this stuff. And then it was just a bad movie given the expectations that I had for it. But going into yours, I was like, ah, it's a sci-fi film. It's asylum. It's going to be this. It's going to be ridiculous. So like my expectations were, you know, no offense, but really low. And then the hilarity just comes with it. And I found myself enjoying it just for how ridiculous it was. Now, you know, in terms of like a compelling movie that I would want to own and promote to everybody and like, this is my favorite movie of all time. It doesn't hit that standard. But I I wonder if that's what it was, was expectations. Well, and it's a lot. Well, here's the thing. This is the other thing that makes the success of Sharknado all the more, uh, you know, sweeter is that Mm -hmm. there was no marketing for this movie. Sci-fi did a a couple of trailers like they normally do. they, they actually normally do interviews and they were, were, weren't going to do any interviews. And I said, look, I can get Tara Reid and we can do a little phone conference with the press. You know, I can set it up and we can make it happen. And they're like, OK. And they did it the day before. And wow. and so we did we did a little press uh, conference thing on the phone with them. And then, like I said, the little grassroots stuff we did. But we weren't we we didn't like, look, we've had a lot of promotion since then in the other films, but we didn't buy mm-hmm. our audience. We didn't tell them you right. have to show up or we're going to kill you. We, we, <laughs> we didn't do any of that. People found us. And the fact that they found us and it blew up and had this effect. That's yeah. what's so cool. And the thing is, I agree. Is, I agree. It's crazy. Take away all the people that, you know, have their issues with it and all that. There is this, there, there was, there was this, cor- like, there's a lot of kids that love the Sharknado franchise that we actually feel very, very indebted to because, you know, we don't have overt sexuality. We don't have people going, running in the woods, having sex, and then getting killed by a shark. You know, we, we're kind of this wholesome, <laughs> we have this strange, we could have. But we, is that, you're going to save that for part six? No, yeah, Crystal no, Lake Sharknado. No, it's not. It's not. But see, that thing is, it's there's this weird. I think this was sort of the strange family values movie. Not look. I've made horror movies. I've made things that are dark and and sick and twisted and stuff like that. Yeah. But there there was something at its core that it was also kind of family friendly and and it appeals to kids ADD sensibility. It's like if you watch the movie, it's like and then she gets eaten by the shark and then he chainsaws his way out of a shark and then he pulls her. It's just this kind of craziness. <laughs> And the kids just responded yeah. to it. But this is the this is the big takeaway: is that when we went to Comic Con uh, right after it aired, uh, we were doing signing, and a woman came up to me, and she said, "Thank you for making Sharknado." She was like probably in her late fifties, early sixties. She said, "Thank you for making Sharknado. I've watched it three times. It made me happy." Now that's awesome. I you look. Know, I like scaring people, but the thing that yeah. I I love about this thing is that no matter what we're making people happy. We're turning their brains off. We're giving them something where we don't have endless amounts of money for visual effects to make everything perfect. But there's a charm in the imperfections in the movies that I think that, that people just respond to because it's not being force fed down their throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and, and I, I, w- I recently saw the movie. Uh, there was a, we had a screening in... Florida, I was there for SharkCon and the theater wanted to do a screening and it was actually packed. They had a lot of people there and I hadn't seen it probably in three years or four years. 
and watching it separated from the phenomenon separated from making it and where how far we've gone down now we made five movies it was amazing watching it with this crowd that wasn't watching it on sci-fi that a lot of them hadn't seen the movie and seeing wow. how they were reacting to all the stuff that was in the film and all the stuff that was intended for them to react to and have a reaction to and they just had an absolute blast which tells me that you know that kind of maybe gives me a microcosm of what was going on when that movie uh you know first uh first aired and then also yeah. watching in a retrospective i don't know how we pulled that movie off there's so <laughs> much that movie does not stop that it's once it starts it just like sci-fi channel movies the way the way they go is you have a great teaser at the at the um middle point like 20 minutes in something happens at the halfway point something happens and then you sort of have an ending and you know sometimes there's something big that happens sometimes there doesn't there's there's a big action sequence in this movie every like 10 minutes it's yeah no, it's just it's it's crazy and it's one crazy scene from the next you know the bar scene the destruction of the santa monica pier the the you know the, the house the highway well, yeah the highway the the school bus like the school bus is i mean i love the, the bus driver he was hilarious that's robbie by the way that's yeah yeah uh, it's yeah you're right it's just it's one ridiculous thing leading into another ridiculous thing and it doesn't really feel like there's a, a break so to speak you don't get a chance to catch your breath but but at the, oh, at the core of it though it, it, it when you look at it again the, the thing i think also works it's about an everyman it's not the, the mm -hmm. firefighter it's not the uh cop it's not you know, it's not something you could relate to this guy who's just lost everything. He's trying to save his family. And I think that, you know, at, at the end of the day, you like that. And you like the characters when uh, the, at that screening, when John Hurd died, everybody was just horrified. Every time somebody died, like they, you could hear the audience going, no. And so that's what the <laughs> audience like. That means we succeeded with these characters somehow, you know? Yeah, I, I would so, say John Hurd's like character was easily my favorite in this movie. He was so good. Unlike unlike everyone else on this this show, I actually had seen Sharknado prior to us drawing it, mm -hmm. and and I haven't seen the fifth one yet. I'm gonna see it, but I have had the get a bunch of friends together with a bunch of beer and a bunch of alcohol and binge watch four movies in a row while getting drunk and just laughing your ass off for a night. <laughs> I've done that before, so yeah. I get it. But uh, but I did have a question. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that Sharknado wasn't or that Sharknado was something entirely different than most of the, the stuff that comes out, uh, you know, on sci-fi? When did you know that it had taken on a life of its own and was becoming this cultural phenomenon? Well, it was that no, it was that night. I mean, look, look here as a filmmaker, this is the thing, I, up until Sharknado, let's say I, I directed three features and I wrote a bunch of them. You, you get used to the idea that you create your films and you send them out to the world and some people are going to like them and some people aren't going to like them. And I, I kind of also knew that regardless of what we did with Sharknado, you know, if, if, if I was going to destroy my career, Sharknado would be the movie to destroy the career on. <laughs> no, no so, so it's like, if I'm going to go put myself out there and make a ridiculous movie, then I'm all in. I'm putting all my cards right. on the table and I'm a, I'll go down with flaming sharks, but I'm gonna make the I'm gonna make the most insane, crazy, fun movie that I can do with what they'll give me, and yeah. that and so you know that. But it was that night that we realized it had a life of its own. Like I said, no one ever like I said you you know there's a lot of people that go oh my movie's gonna break the world it's gonna do this it's gonna... no you send it out and you hope that you have an audience. My first movie Boo 
you know, we did really well with that. It was a, it was an independent low budget movie and um, we just made the best movie that we could with what we were given. And that's, that's the same thing with Sharknado. We were given th these parameters. We have six months to make a movie. We have 18 days. We have less than a million dollars to make the film. And how do you do it? And with somebody like myself that has never really done a big action visual effects film. So it was, it was, a, it, you know, it was a huge learning curve. And I, and I think that you know, at the end of the day, it, it just kind of it, it became what it was going to become. And the fact that it blew up you know, is, is, is the gravy on top of it. That really goes into uh, something I want to kind of talk to you about is these challenges and hardships and limits that you were basically had thrusted upon you when making this film. How did that impact your, your future ability and perspective and motivation for filmmaking? And with those mistakes and learning experiences that you've had, like how has that shaped you now, you know, four years after the fact? I, look, every, every movie you do, you learn something. You learn how to do something and how not to do something. Uh, and I, I think that uh, what, what happened with that movie is that, you know, there's, there's a thing where, you know, action is hard to do. And action is hard to do with no money. Yeah. But with the, but 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 within that, you know, we shot a lot of this movie in parking lots in Los Angeles where we couldn't shoot the skies because we had X amount of visual effects. So oh, wow. so it was it was very tricky because also I, I again not knowing what, what I'd never really fully worked with the visual effects team. They did a couple shots on on Hansel Grell, but you know, never in this capacity. So I had to assume that, you know, a lot of that movie was I have to do get as much of it in the can as possible because we're going to have limitations on the on the back end. Sky and, replacement's a bitch. Well, yeah, sky yeah, and and again, we this that year that we shot Sharknado, it was there there was no rain. We had rain the first two days of shooting because and we were indoors and there was no rain after that and it was all sunny yeah. skies and we were storm chasing like in <laughs> <Yeah>. post production. <laughs> like we were we we were like about like a two or three months two months out of delivering. And suddenly we heard that there were cloud, there was rain happening and we got in, a, we got a camera, we got in a car, we were chasing storms from <laughs> Bur Burbank to Pasadena to get this car driving around in rain. And, you know, we, we lucked out and there was only one shot we were able to get out of it. So it, yeah, it was, it was really tricky. And again, when you're shooting in parking lots, you know, you're, you know, you don't, you know, you don't, you assume you can't have like uh, uh, set extensions or any of that stuff. So you, you're, you know, a lot of that stuff in the finale you know, is in the Van Nuys Airport. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're we're just kind of cheating it. Uh, <laughs> so what? What? So, but the thing is, is that with each one of the films you do, you're given new toys. And even mm -hmm. though, um, you know, there was limitation Sharknado, it was still one of the biggest budgets I'd ever been given, and a, a lot of resources and a lot of toys that I'd never gotten a chance to play with, like cranes and just just the, like a crane, like a huge crane that we had on that uh, bridge. So, uh, so I'm appreciative of it because I never had this stuff before. It's like, oh, great, we could do this, and we could do, oh, we can build this. And then going into the subsequent Sharknado movies, the way what what it taught me was, look, I went through something that was absolutely insane, and we came out. And going into the next ones, it was about con continually sanding off the rough edges. It's like, so we were going to do two in New York. We went to New York, and we actually mm -hmm. shot at these locations, and. That that we had 15 days to shoot that movie, and we shot 12, 13 days in New York and two days in LA. 15 days? That is insane. And that was my that's my favorite of, of all of them in terms of the experience and, and the shooting. We we were they said, look, you could shoot in Times Square, 
because originally the scene was at someone's house. We can get you in Times Square. You have uh, an hour, and you can only bring five. Oh, wow. You can only bring five five <laughs> people there, and you can't disrupt traffic. And we're like, okay. And so we went wow. there. We 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 had Mark McGrath and Carrie Wurr and the two kids, and because we know how to move fast, we went out there. Yeah. And we shot it, and that that looks huge. But that was like I think it took an hour, hour and a half for us to shoot that scene at the end of our day. And so having been through that first movie taught me how to deal with the second one and then so on and so on to the point where we got to Sharknado 5. We went, we were gone two and a half months overseas because I wanted to caravan with a small crew and hit all the countries in the film. So we went mm -hmm. to Bulgaria, England, Italy, Japan, and Australia for the same budget wow. that we had on Sharknado 4, which was not a big budget. And yeah. we did like, we shot at Trevi Fountain when no one was there because we shot at 6 a.m. in the morning. They said, well, you know, you're going to have people showing up around eight. It's like, okay, we could do it in two hours. And that's what we did. And so this kind of segues into So Jones is our technical enthusiast as he so self-proclaims. He's, he's, yeah, he's a, uh, you know, he's, he has a future in terms of making films and that's his, that's his goal. So I know Jones probably has a few questions regarding your uh, quote unquote guerrilla film, filmmaking <laughs> tactics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guerrilla, guerrilla is the operative word. You had 18 days to shoot. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I noticed a, a couple other things. Like, um, was that, like, there was a, a cop, motorcycle cop. Was that, like, you filming him, or was that stock footage? How much How much of this was actually stock footage, and how much of it was you going out there with the GoPro, like you said? Uh, I think just kind of picking up inserts and stuff. We tried to. We tried to we tried to limit a lot of the stock footage in subsequent movies, uh, except to like you know okay we need we need an aerial or this or that. We we've kind of minimized a lot of that as much as possible. In the first movie, we did use you know we did use some stock footage, particularly like some of the storm stuff because we didn't have storm. Uh, the cop, so the cop thing, yes, that that there's like two or three shots shots of the cops that that uh, I'll tell you how this worked out uh, that are that are stock footage. Now we were we were locking the movie with one of the producers, and there was a scene of them in the truck, and I said to the producer, "This scene doesn't work," and I'll tell you why. It's like they're they're speeding off like maniacs, but what is the threat other than the storm? And because of limitations there was a lot more of them having a problem like getting out of town because of traffic which we didn't have because we don't have the budget to create huge traffic jams and all that stuff i go you know they should be chased by the police or something and they, and they turned to me going okay i'm gonna go out for a few hours make it happen so i went into the edit bay with my editor we went and combed uh, stock footage and found all these shots with uh, police cars, <laughs> and so they gave us they gave us three <laughs> visual effects shots to tell the story and stock shots, and we created an action sequence with our footage, stock footage, and three visual effects shots. Wow! And honestly, that's that's pretty seamless. And the only reason I notice it because I've been looking at a lot of stock footage lately, and I'm just like, it's on the top of my mind. But, but yeah, it was it was pretty seamless. But um, but yeah. So the it's, other, the it, other... it's like I said, it's all about it was all about trying. How do we keep making this better? And that's what I like about the Asylum guys is that you know if if it's not going to cost an arm and a leg and and it's within our budget, they're like, okay, well, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's let's try this. You know, and you know, yeah. you just get you just get kind of gung ho about it and we're like, okay, let's try it. Let's do it. <laughs> but I mean, that's my that's my big. We brought this up on an, another episode, a couple episodes. Is like there's this B movie category 
what's it like working in that? Like, what's what's it like working with the asylum? And do they have like this crazy library of stuff that you can just pull from, or like, do they support you? Like, like, I'm I'm envious that you're you're able to work with them. Uh, here's the thing: is like I've worked with a lot of different companies, really good producers. There's there's some companies that have a very very firm hold on their films, and they 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 don't want filmmakers around. Uh, I was fortunate enough that Asylum, you know, they they they're okay with the filmmaker being around, and especially especially with all the movies that they do. Like I, I like to stay around and post. I I'm there every day. I'm trying to to do everything I can to make the movie the best movie possible. And like I said, it's it's a thing of you know you go in and you talk to them about things, and you know they they have their stu- their producers. They have specific things that they want. But if if you're resourceful and you make it happen, they're, they're, they'll listen to a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, again, just another rand- to two, ra- two random examples of being resourceful. So in, in number three, uh, the, the space the one where we go into space at the end. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking to Kennedy Space Center in Florida before we went to Florida because we shot at uh, Universal Orlando, and it for whatever reason, I guess it wasn't going to work out, you know, to do, should have a film crew there. It was just way too complicated and stuff. So we had this sort of mission control thing. We tried shooting in, uh, in Orlando. And then I think we went to, when we went to Washington, we actually did some stuff in Baltimore as well. And it, it just looks small. And I was talking to the producers and I'm said, this, it's just not, you know, we're, we're sending him up to space and it just, it looks really low budget and rinky dink. And uh, so I, I said, look, look, can I at least reach out to our contact Kennedy Space Center, even if we could just walk through with a camera and get some B-roll or something, you know, with a double or whatever. And I go, fine, call. And so I called my guy and we're looking, we're talking about a week away from locking them. And the guy goes, look, um, if you, if you can, I can get you on as a media crew, like a, like a journalism crew, like a media crew, not a film crew. If you can yeah. show up with a crew of eight people, you can come here and we'll, 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 we'll let you shoot. Uh, we'll let you shoot on the property at Kennedy space center. And I, I called Ian. He was in. So we went there with Ian Ziering. Uh, we, they gave us one day. Uh, like li- li- I found out about this on a Tuesday. We were on a plane heading to, uh, uh, Orlando on a Thursday and we got there they gave us access to mission control and everybody in NASA wanted to be an extra oh, <laughs> the guy that the guy that the guy that does the NASA countdowns did our countdowns we needed an actor and I don't like acting but I usually make little cameos I end up having, having to be the head of NASA because there was nobody else to do it uh, they, they let us wow. they let us go into the vehicle assembly building we went on the roof. They let us drive around the property and shoot around the property. So we shot for ten hours. Do, in every we we had Ian suiting up where the Apollo astronauts suited up, all awesome. under the guise of a media crew. And That's amazing. And so that was what I'm saying. And 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 the total. Uh, and I guess I could probably say right now. I mean, all in what we probably spent with flights and hotels and stuff. And on top of that, we went over to Universal Orlando and did some pickup shots as well because we needed a few more B-roll. I think it probably cost us fifteen grand total that's impressive so 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 then then on the on the fourth movie uh we we shot a lot of it in los angeles and our niagara falls thing just was falling flat and we had a contact in buffalo because we had shot some of two there and uh they said they can get us at, at niagara falls and it was a similar thing show up here 
and uh, you know, you, we can get you on for like three or four people, and you could do it. So Ian showed up. We ran around for two days, getting a ton of B-roll and shooting Ian running around uh, uh, Niagara Falls, and it makes the movie look bigger. And so that's the thing. Is like I don't have contempt for these movies. I want to try to make the best movie possible with what we're given. And right. and if I and if I can do it, and the silent, like I said, as long as we're not breaking the bank, and there's a reason for it, they're, they're they'll listen. And they, they do care about their films. They, you know, all three of the, yeah. the main producers over there, they, they do care. And, you know, I'm passionate, but I also know how to work with them. Not like, I, I may be insane in my own way, but, you know, <laughs> at the end of the way, I also, I also understand how to work with limitations because I've always had limitations with the stuff I've done. Yeah, you, you seem really resourceful and definitely uh, good in a pinch, so to speak. So that, that kind of brings up a, a, something I was curious about in terms of what your thoughts are. On what I what I call the current state in Hollywood, uh, given these massive production studios and these huge budget films, we've got a lot of reboots that are coming out. You know, Alien got rejuvenated, uh, Blade Runner's coming back, it came back. And with that being said, I'm I'm curious as to how you, in the category that you are working with the production company you are and the limitations that you have, how, what your viewpoints are on these huge budget movies that are flopping really hard. But as, as also, there's some movies that, you know, rated R movies tend not to be very successful in the theater because everyone's shooting for that PG-13 mark. And I always felt that not being rated R limited your content, your story and everything. But then Deadpool came out and killed it. It came out as rated R and absolutely killed it. Uh, Logan, you know, a, a comic book movie, the second comic movie was rated R. And it was huge. Um, so, you know, being in your position and having the perspective you do, like, what are your thoughts on, on Hollywood right now? Well, look, you know, I, I would love to have a lot of money to put stuff on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 I mean, look, you always want to have, have, have move up and start uh, showing what you can do with bigger and better budgets. But I think also there, there's a place where you have to be smart. Like I've all of the nine movies I've done, I've made money for, for the producers on all nine movies. Cause we made them for yeah. a price and we knew what the market is. And I think the problem is, is sometimes, you know, you can take a risk, but they're taking, they're taking big swings on everything with huge budgets. And they're not kind of looking at, at the market of, well, okay, do we really need to spend 200 on this? Could we spend 75 or can we spend 50? You know, you, there, there's, there's something that needs a lot of that money because you, you know, you have to live up like Marvel needs to live up to the previous movie. So they're going to throw money at it because they know there's a market there for that. But uh, other films don't need like one ranger they spent a lot of money on that movie and, and yeah. did it need, did it need to cost 220 million dollars could it have cost 100 could it have cost 75 probably probably so <laughs> so it's so it's one of those things where i, I think people just they want I, I think the hardest i think this is again this goes back about the rough edges i think mm -hmm. a lot of movies are so perfect and so precise in every little thing you know that they do that i think sometimes the audience is like it it's it feels almost uh prepackaged and i think that with with what we've done at least with sharknado there's a little anarchy to it because they're sitting there going i don't know what they're going to do next these right. things just progressively get weirder and weirder <laughs> uh if you watch the if you watch the like sharknado starting with sharknado 4 our teasers are 20 minutes long they're like a james bond opening before you even get the main title wonder <laughs> you know so so we we do things that are just like well, i don't know what they're gonna and we always try to start the movies off and play with different genres and stuff 
And they just like at the end of the teaser for number five, we have Ayn Ziering jumping on like uh, battling sharks with Buckingham Palace using Big Ben's clock hand, javeling on himself onto a shark, flying through the windows of Buckingham Palace. Eating the shark eats the uh, uh, the queen's crown. He slides down the stairs, punching it. It lands on the ground. The queen appears. He cli- he digs his hand into the shark mouth, hands her the crown, and says, "God save the queen." Wow. <laughs> okay. So. That's that's the first twenty minutes of Sharknado, and that's not talking. That's not talking about everything that happened. That's that's like the last five minutes of it. There's another fifteen minutes of craziness that goes before that, and so I think that that's. I think there's a sense of fun with that and a sense of anarchy. I think Kingsman comes close to that because they have that sort of sense, cheeky sensibility, but they have a lot of money yeah. to make it look perfect. So right. I think that there's a balance. I think the thing is, people want something new, and I think Sharknado wasn't a a, a remake or a or based on something that happened before. And that's why I'm proud of yeah. the franchise. I think the other thing you asked me too about doing these things, I think, I think sometimes, again, I can't speak for everybody, but I think you can see some of these low budget movies that, that sometimes some of the people involved have a contempt for the material. I don't have a contempt for it. Yeah. I, I accepted the assignment and I wanted to make the best thing I could and I had fun with it. And you see the actors having fun. Like, Ian Ziering, this could have been a career killer for him. He burst himself <laughs> out of a shark in the first Sharknado. I don't know many people that would have done that and done it and going all in because that yeah. would have been a meme that could have been, oh, this is how a career ends. But the thing is, it made his career again. And, probably a yeah. jump the shark thing in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And, yeah, and, and, that's, yeah. and that's the other thing is every time someone tries to make fun of the movie, like on the second movie, we knew we were going to get the jump the shark thing. So we just had a character say it. And, and you played Frogger. You played Frogger like try, in downtown try, New York try. City. I mean, we yeah. jumped the shark on the first movie. I mean, come on. There's no coming back. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, I, I don't want to monopolize the, uh, the episode here. So Jones, Chris, yeah, you yeah, guys yeah. got questions, man. Fire away. So... Again, back to working with Asylum. How much? How much of this is like their intrude? Like, how much do they intrude? Is there anything like metrics driven? Like, do they do they look at numbers and focus groups and say, "No, nah, you can't do this"? Is this is this like a typical Hollywood format for you? At least working well, with Asylum and sci-fi. Well, well, I mean, the first movie. It, they were shutting down the whole sci-fi movie division. So at the end of the day, like like Sharknado was in a bubble, and we just kept making the movie. Like that, we didn't have a lot of notes from sci-fi. Like these movies were going away, and then it kind of salvaged that whole division. So there there was no formula to it. It was just you know we were just kind of you know there they, it has certain asylum elements, it has some of my sensibilities in there, and uh, we just made the movie. When the, the second one came along, sci-fi definitely took a vested interest. And so they, they you know, they, sci-fi has definitely guided some of the stuff that they wanted to do over the course of the movies. And they, I think after three and four, they had, um, they had sort of a, uh, a sheet from some stuff that they did in research of stuff that people liked and didn't like. Um, but at the end of the day, all these movies, all the subsequent sequels are products of everybody throwing ideas out in the room. You know, Thunder, myself... Uh, the asylum, Scotty, sci-fi, you know, it's all of us just like uh, throwing things at the wall, like, oh, what about this? What about that? And we kind of, like, we never expected sequels, but like, I, I think I, 
I think I joked about what the second movie would be or something uh, like some kind of uh, like they, they get sucked into the time travel and they end up going back in time or like, it's gonna, like a Sharknado Saurus. It was always my joke about that. And, uh, but then then it happened. It's like, oh, shit, we got to do uh, we're, we're doing New York. And that was that was that was really cool. And then when we were making the second one, I going, well, if we do uh, if we do the third one, it's got to be White House down with sharks. And then we're doing the third movie and we're doing white house down with sharks and so it just kind of kind of kind of goes from there where you know you always have these things that you're holding on to and these ideas and when is the proper time to do it and sci-fi's come up with some really interesting things and ideas they they did they did have an idea that i thought was too cruel for terry even though we ultimately ended up doing to her, that to her in the fifth movie. But um, <laughs> they, they wanted that basically after getting her hand bitten off in the second one, they basically wanted her to be a nub in, uh, in, in, in three. And I'm like, no, we can't, it, you know, she's giving, right. she's giving birth to a baby. We can't do that. But then I go, <laughs> I like this idea though. And so uh, for Frankie Muniz, I think one of the best deaths in the whole franchise is him trying to set off a uh, uh, set off this explosion to stop the Sharknado, and as he's climbing onto this uh, the RV, he keeps losing a limb till he's basically a head <laughs> and no arms yeah. and no legs, and he has to use his nose to set the palm off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that came from something that they suggested, like you know, what if she's floating down and all the sharks bite off all of her limbs? And so that came right. from taking one idea. I you know I have. There, there's a couple ideas too that we've had that have been absolutely crazy that have not seen the light of day. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like considering but, what's made it onto film, I can't even imagine what didn't make it onto film. But 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 really, really at the end of the day, I mean, uh, there's 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 very there's very specific rules at least for me, and I feel like I said I feel very I feel very indebted to like like making sure that we don't cross a line with the kid audience. Like they love these movies. We can be bloody and violent because it's cartoon violence. That I'm never pulling back on that. But th- there, th- we. I feel like there's an obligation and making sure that we we stay true to the characters. There's a very specific thing that we do with Finn. You know, Finn doesn't ask questions. Finn is very honorable. There, there's things that sometimes they'll go, "Hey, what about this?" I'm like, no, Finn doesn't do that. You know, there's 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 that kind of uh, you know. I, I've done five of these. I don't think I think the only other director that I know of that's done five in a row on a franchise that they originated was Michael Bay. So. I feel yeah. very loyal to these characters, <laughs> you know, and I'd actually, I don't think there's ever been a franchise that's had like the, like the core two leads in all five movies. Like, you know, you've had like the yeah. star Wars films, but you've never really had the two lead actors frequent throughout the whole franchise, which I think is rare. I mean, even I think Steve Gutenberg left police Academy at some point. So yeah. I think after the third one, right? Maybe one of them, something yeah, like that. Some, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's so I think that's the kind of thing is like you, I, I love, I love these characters and I love what we've done with them. And if we do a sixth film, you know, we are now in time travel and there's a lot of fun stuff that can be done with that. <laughs> I hope. I, I really hope that that's what happens. <laughs> time travel, man. That's my, that's my biggest, that's my biggest thing. I don't know. I'm in. It's scary. It's hard to work with. <laughs> well, no, but the thing the thing that's great about it again at the end of the day, it's all about family in these films. So it's basically at the end of Shark. I don't anybody. I don't think any of you guys saw that one because you watched uh, the first one. But at the end of the five, everybody dies except for Ian, and the world is destroyed. 
<laughs> and, oh, and, wow. and so, so, so they have to alert, time travel. And, That's and the only option he, they have. And he's carrying and he's carrying Tara's head in a hobo sack, <laughs> walking walking the ends of the earth. Wow. Because All right. she, I'm gonna because, watch it. Because because in the fourth movie, she sort of was rebuilt, so she's sort of half Tara, half kind of like cybernetics. Uh, half Terabot. And and so <laughs> What am so I he, missing? Holy crap. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I keep telling you, Jones, you have no idea, man. <laughs> Where do you, th- if, if film franchises, which typically get more, you know, they get bigger and more ridiculous and more crazy and they have to up the stakes every single entrant. When you start at Sharknado, where do you think you can go? You gotta go time travel with number six. Well, well, so, 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 what, so at the end of the, so at the end of the five, He's walking the ends of the earth, and then suddenly, uh, as I say, his son got sucked up, his young son, like it's like 10 or 8, gets sucked up into Sharknado at the beginning of the movie, and he's in this vortex, and they're trying to save him, and then they, they fail at that. So they're walking the end, you know, the, he's walking the ends of the earth, and all of a sudden, this Humvee, Humvee pulls out of nowhere, and it's Dolph Lundgren. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Dolph Lundgren goes, he goes, he, uh, Finn goes, who are you? And he, because he has uh, his son's uh, wings on there. It's like, you know, that's my son's. And then he goes, hi, dad. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and, and Dolph Lundgren goes, look, you know, I figured out a way to how to harness uh, uh, the Sharknado for time travel. You know, we got to go back in time and, and rectify everything and save everybody and save the world. And so that oh, wow. it ends basically like Back to the Future. And that's, that's the ending of the film. So that's with, Dol- with Dolph Lundgren as Doc Brown, basically. Uh, yeah, Do- yeah. <laughs> well, basically, the fun part is that he's, he's Ian's son and now he's older than Ian. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that- Terminator, too. He kind of, yeah. yeah. It, it's just, that's the whole fun about it is that we chew through stories. I, I think one of the things I, I remember reading, like Joss Whedon, Buffy and stuff like that, and, and some of the showrunners, it's like, you don't go, I'm going to save this for episode, uh, for the sixth season or the seventh season. You just do what you need to do, and then you, you work yourself out of the hole in the next year. And we could have done, we could have saved space for Sharknado 4 or 5 or 6. We did the last, 20 minutes of Sharknado 3 is a space shuttle space epic with Ian Ziering and David Hasselhoff as his dad. Yeah. And we have sharks in yep. space, basically. And it's we we blew our wad in, in number in number three. <laughs> uh, we still had to make a movie for four, and that we turned that one into a superhero movie. So, yeah. so still it's still better than Freddy in the Sky, Chris. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> we we we, uh, we rag on Chris quite a bit for his uh, his B-rated horror movies that he's deeply embedded in. Um, yes. So yeah, the Wes Craven's A New Nightmare is like one of the worst films that we've had on the on the podcast. <laughs> so we always like to put jabs at him for that. My my last question for you, real quick, is so like my commitment to the military is almost up, and I'm going to move to California and I'm going to do the film school thing. You have a bachelor's, right? Yeah. Yeah, from Yeah, yeah. So the the big topic these these days is you know you got YouTube, you got all these like self self taught things. What do you, what do you recommend recommend as a filmmaker right now in this day and age? Is like film school or no? That's the big it, question. It, it it just honestly it depends. I always tell people that there's no there's no right or wrong way of being able to break into the industry. So, you know, I went to film school, but I was making shorts 
in high school, I, I, got, I got access to the community college. They let me make films there. They gave me equipment and editing. I started writing for, I was a journalist. So I started writing for Fangoria and they would send me to film sets. So I would drive down to Los Angeles and go to these low budget horror movie sets and, and they would just let me hang out all day. And I learned so much just hanging out on these sets and I got to be friends with people and I got to see how things ran and then I would come back home and I, when I'd make a new short and I would learn stuff I learned from there, I would incorporate it and stuff I learned from film school, I would incorporate into it. The thing that's happened right now is that, you know, you have access to make, you can make a movie with your iPhone. You can make a, you have access. It's not expensive. A lot of tangerine. You know, it's, it's, it's cheap to do that. But the thing is, is that, one what film school affords you is that you you learn learn about the history you you learn about working in a, in a different capacity and a lot of those people that you know you go to film school with some of them are going to move on you're going to make friends with that uh not from state but the, from the community college the first film class that uh i i was in uh there was a, a steve felty and kathy felty his wife i met them um, and then another friend of mine, Kate, who I, I, I am really close with all of them, they worked on my first short and then they kept working on my projects. And then Steve, uh, who's an actor as well. I mean, he shot one of my horror films that we shot. Uh, you know, he was in it as a monster. When I got Boo, uh, I cast Steve as, as the main villain. And then he's he's been in in some form in all of my movies, whether uh, you know as a voiceover actor or as an actor in it. He was le- he was the main villain in in um, uh, Headless Horseman, and he was the sheriff in Hansel and Gretel. So I always try to keep him in there. So the thing is, you when you move up with people, you usually keep people around that you love working with, and that's one of the th- benefits of going to film school. But working Networking. on films. Networking, networking is good. Working on films as a PA, I always tell people like, if you know what you're doing, you'll move quickly past PA within like you know days. Like I was hired as a PA on a on a film, and they I showed the short film I did to uh, the line producer, and I said, "Hey, you want to help with makeup effects?" It's like, sure. You're still a PA, but you're going to do makeup effects too. So we were doing like 22 hour days. I brought a couple of friends over that had worked on my short films and we kind of make, made it a de facto makeup effects group. And then I, I worked with uh, John Vulich and uh, Screaming Mad George and Todd Masters, all these people that I had interviewed in the past. And so we did all these pickups and stuff for this, this movie. And, uh, and then I started doing makeup effects because I was supervising makeup effects. So it's like I went from PA to, to special makeup effects supervisor. And then I started doing second unit. And so I built oh, wow. into my contract, like when I do makeup effects, when they're second unit, I do the second unit. So it's like it's second they're, they're, unit directing or yeah, second unit directing. Wow. So there's so there's no there there's like no set strategy. It's it's what's best what for, you. for you. You know, you if you need to if you need uh, to learn how to do this stuff, it it's beneficial. But you know, there's there's many many different ways of of breaking in, and. Uh, you know, it's it's just try 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 to learn as much as you can. The problem the problem too that you'll see too, too is you'll see like a lot of filmmakers that'll shoot up. They'll have a first movie and that goes through the roof, and you know they they had all the stuff that they needed, and then their their subsequent films aren't as good, or they don't make any more movies after that. Yeah, and you got to want it, and you also have to be appreciative of it. You have to be appreciative of the people that you work with, and you have to remember that it is also a business. Uh, I know that I have to make money for these producers and I know that we have to be careful and not go over a budget. 
And it, it's not just you, you know, you are trying to make art and as much as, you know, in whatever form it is, whether you're trying to make people laugh or scare them or make something silly or make a drama, it's it, there, there's that artist part of it, but it's also a business. And, you know, you always have to remember that because that's what talks is if you're making money for people and you're making successes for people, then that'll keep you around in the business. Wow. I mean, that's, that's invaluable. Thank you. So you're welcome. And, and you think too, you have, I think you have to realize is that there's no one wants you here in, in Hollywood. There are too many people. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm dead serious. I come from Northern California. So I, I grew up in a small town and that's why I think a lot of times I try to write about small towns because I think it's more accessible. I mean, take Sharknado out of the equation because those are completely LA, yeah. different movies, but all my other films, they, they exist in their own little, you know, small town universe because I think that's, that's what I think is accessible to people. I, I hate seeing these things of, oh, we're going to make a horror movie. And it's, it's set in the suburbs of, or it's, set, it's not set in the suburbs. It's set, it's set in, on the streets of LA. It's like, well, that's scary. I mean, that, <laughs> I, I don't give a shit about LA. Uh, but, right. but, um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that when I came that's down here. That's a soundbite, by the way. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Spoken like a true you know, resident of Northern California. Yeah. No, but, but the thing is, is that when, when you come here, you realize that, you know, there's the, the people that are here, you know, they, they have, they've already been here. They, you know, they, uh, you know, there's a lot of people go to parties, you know, they, they understand there's a, a lifestyle here and they've gotten themselves into it and outsiders are sometimes welcome, but th there's also, there's also this hesitance and reticence and, and you, you feel it a lot of times and eventually you keep doing it. It's like, you know, by the time Shark, you know, like by the time Sharknado hit, it's like, Oh, okay. We got to close the back door. Well, wait a minute. Those YouTubers are getting in at the in the front window. Oh, let him in. It's fine. And so, that's <laughs> like uh, he made this. Oh, uh, the thing blew up. I don't know what we're gonna. Okay, I guess he's here. Whatever. Can't get rid of him now. <laughs> so, so it's just you know you, you can't take it personally. You know, there, there's a lot of great people. I've worked with a lot of amazing people, and a lot of people gave me amazing opportunities. And you know, I'm not I'm not saying everybody's like that, but the town itself. There, you know, you can feel it sometimes, you know, you can feel that it's, you know, you do have to find your way into it. And there's, like I said, there's no way. If you love doing it, if you love making movies, then you will, uh, you will probably, you know, continue to do it. And, you know, you make, make the best of what you get. And again, make the best of what it is. I think that's the other thing too, is the, I think that's why big budget movies, there's, there's, there's the thing of like, I'm not going to budge and I'm not going to, this has to be this way. And then there's, Hey, you know, we're running out of sunlight. We don't have this big crane. What are we going to do? It's like, I'll oh, shut it down. We'll come back tomorrow or let's make a movie. And that's what Sharknados are. It's like, we, we don't have something. We just make something else up. <laughs> we just, <laughs> Jesus so you just have to be appreciative because like you said, this is a gift and, and, and no one say, if, if you don't understand that, uh, you have to understand it. You get, get someone is giving you money to make something and trusting you to do it. So you have that obligation that you have to make something that's going to pay off. So, there so you go. with that being said, money wise, um, Chris had a pretty good question for you. I'm kind of oh. excited to hear it. So. <laughs> right. So um, you've talked a lot about the limitations that were put on you uh, throughout your career and and how you've been able to to and find success given them if those limitations were were pulled off 
if the shackles were released, if you, if, if budgetary constraints and time and whatnot weren't a factor, do you have a dream project that you would love to work on? There, there's a couple of them. Uh, there's a few, there's a couple scripts that I, I really love, but um, I mean, look, the, you know, everybody, you, we have all the comic book movies that are out there and stuff like that. The, my, ever since I was a kid, my favorite Marvel character was Moon Knight. And I, I've obsessed about Moon Knight. I have all the action figures. I have all the comic books. Um, I, even the ones that absolutely don't adhere to what Moon Knight is. Moon Knight would be like, like my dream project. I love Moon Knight. And, um, but that's not my own thing, but that's, that's one of the things I'd love to do. Um, one thing that as I've moved along with the Sharknado movies is that I also really love the fact that I, people you can entertain people and especially with the way the world is right now people are looking for entertainment they don't want they 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 want stuff that makes them smile and makes them happy and i think that i i would love to have a, a lot more money to be able to make something that's on a bigger scale that that could actually kind of bring what i've learned but you know actually have the time and resources to make it really look amazing if you took any one of these sequences that we've done in sharknado that are absolutely bug nut crazy and you know had you know an extra half a million dollars or another million dollars to perfect the visual effects a little bit more i mean they could be put into any studio movie and you wouldn't blink an eye it's it's so um i i feel like i i have the uh the drive and the quirkiness to do some really cool stuff. And I'm hoping at some point, you know, I'll have that opportunity to kind of show people uh, what I can do. I agree. I'd be, I'd be excited to uh, see you attached to a big, big budget project for sure. That, 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 that said, the other thing too, is like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do with 200 days. It's like, we'd probably be <laughs> right? done. We'd probably be done. Like we probably at day 75, we'd probably be wrapped and, and have all this great stuff. We went and shot this, uh, uh, pilot presentation a couple weeks ago and we shot like 24 pages in two days and we did a 12 hour day and all the stuff looked great yeah so it's like it, you know you kind of get into a rhythm and so it's i don't know it, like i said I'm, I, I be, like i said i'm really excited to see where everything leads I said i love doing what i'm doing and you know i've, I've been fortunate enough to you know I've, I've i have a have a little bit of a following and people seem to like what we're doing sometimes i don't sometimes i do but like I said, I, as long as as long as there's those people that say that we're making them happy or we're scaring them, that's all that matters, honestly. That's that's an awesome uh, viewpoint to have, and uh, I, I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to come hang out with us and discuss them. And like, you've made me enjoy the series more just by <laughs> seeing how passionate, and how much fun you have with it, um, which I think is is a, a pretty cool thing in itself, because uh, that just shows that you are really passionate about your project and your passion and fun carries over to those you interact with uh so sharknado 5's out on blu-ray and dvd and vod right yeah that just came out on on blu-ray dvd also uh another thing too that's kind of interesting i don't know where everybody is but uh, i'd love to promote this um and if you could make a shout out when it gets closer uh mm -hmm. but on november 16th Thursday, November 16th at select Cinemark theaters, we're showing the extended director's cut of Sharknado 5 in theaters. Oh, uh, okay. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it's just getting to see it on, getting to see anything on a big screen with an audience is just a blast. And, yeah, so th three of us are up in Washington, D.C., and the other one's out in California. 
then I yeah just just check check the Cinemarks. I think it's all across the the, the nation, right? You know, it's, it's, it's very specific theaters. Um, and awesome. yeah. you know, you're welcome to come out. Uh, just let me know, or you know, text me or instant message. We'll get you a ticket to it. So, awesome. Yeah, that, that'd nice. be amazing. Uh, so you also had a, a couple other things going on too, right? Uh, Far Away Canyon. Yeah, Far Away Canyon is um, uh, this really uh, cool comic book uh, that. Uh, this producer who wrote it, uh, um, Steve Hillard and Dennis Nolan, um, they came to me and said, uh, you know, we want to take this out as a potential TV series. What would you do to this comic and to turn it into something? And so I, I read it and I, I came to them and with a, with a pitch on what we would do and they go, okay, great. Let's, uh, let, let's go shoot something <laughs> like That's awesome. Oh. And so you know, we didn't we didn't write a full pilot, but I wrote about twenty four pages of sort of a, a, the concept that we could turn into a trailer, uh, mm-hmm. and that's what we shot uh, three or four weeks ago, and it it was just fantastic because I was able to bring out a lot of my my re- repertory group of actors that uh, that I love working with, and uh, Steve Steve Felty is in that mix, Masiela Lucia, Angie Dick, Kyle McKeever. so we we kind of got them together and we went out and did this little thing. So if it goes to a series, it's it, it, it'll be really fun. It's uh, I can't really talk too much about the take in the story right yeah, now, yeah, sure. but, yeah. but, but it's, you know, it, it has, it has a quirky sensibility to it, but it, it definitely can sustain itself for fun kind of, uh, you know, 10 episode kind of streaming series kind of thing. So I'm, I'm really proud of what we did. We're finished. We're in the editing on it right now. And uh, then we're going to take it out and see what happens with it. But uh, that was absolutely uh, one, one, one really, really fun time. Um, and then, uh, I wrote, uh, and directed a thriller last fall called Forgotten Evil that, uh, aired actually surprisingly <laughs> aired on Lifetime. And then it just came out on <laughs> iTunes and, and video on demand and all that kind of stuff. And so part, part of that was, uh, I wanted to do something that, you know, just was completely different that no one would expect. And I wanted to do like just a really solid, uh, thriller. And it was the first thing I've done that doesn't have a, it has some things about memories. This woman with amnesia and she's, she can't remember who killed or who tried to kill her, but, uh, but there's no supernatural element to it. So it was, it was a really interesting uh, dance to play with that. And I had like the, the three that I just talked about, Maciela Lucia from George Lopez show. She was in Sharknado four and five, Angie mm-hmm. Dick, uh, Angie Theodora Dick and then Kyle McKeever. I had this really core, uh, three leads that just made that thing amazing. I mean, it was so much fun working with the actors on that on that film, and uh, did really well for Lifetime. Which, like I said, the director of Sharknado doing a Lifetime was very, very like, <laughs> like bizarre. But but that, no, it, it just shows that you're a man of, of many talents. I mean, you, you, know, you did visual yeah, visual effects and uh, you know makeup work, and you know now you got the Sharknado series, and forgot, you know Far Away Canyon, you've got Evil, you even got a band. You know, you're a musician too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that's all part, like I said, it's, it's a part of what you do. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's the other thing that I, I feel very fortunate is that what, what Sharknado did was it took me out of just being the horror guy to like, Oh, he could do, he could do visual effects. I, I did, I, uh, energy drink commercial came to me and had me do like three commercials that were like these dance commercials, like, <laughs> like out of the blue. I'm like, okay, Cause I love music. So yeah. that, that was kind of fun. And the music side of it, you know, Robbie and I usually do about three or four songs per movie. 
And so uh, our band Quint, you know, we did that the theme song for Sharknado, and that's kind of turned into a side thing as well. Um, yeah, we uh, we featured him for the we featured you guys for the intro for this episode. Actually. Yeah, so so it's like I said it's it's fun. Uh, look, when you do this, you know you either you know you either love it or you don't love it. I mean that. I've, I've had a lot of people move to LA and then they've gone in six months because it's like they realize it's not what they want to do. And I don't have any other choice. I have to be creative. I have to make a living being creative. And um, I, like I said, I'm fortunate enough that I can do a bunch of different things and uh, people pay me to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Hey, it's, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure, Anthony. I, I really appreciate you coming and taking the time to, to hang out with us. Um, I hope it was uh, fun for you. We yeah. had a ton of fun on this side. Um, and once again, you know, thank you so much, Jones. Do you have anything to add or anything? No, man. I mean, like, like you said, I thank you for taking time out of your day to, to come chat with us. some people who have three listeners on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we got more than that. We're, we're, we're getting up there. We're starting to get, uh, some notoriety, but yeah, we're, we're kind of the underdog at the home. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, what about you, man? You got anything to add? Yeah. Uh, just, you know, the, the usual, you know what? I appreciate you coming out, you know? talking with us and, and everything that's you know it's awesome it's great um thank you for finally showing these guys the light and the <laughs> joy of of b movies that are just all about mindless fun and not taking it too seriously so well, you know, well, that's been a here, here's the, here's feather in my too. cap Here's the other thing, too, is that being a journalist for so many years and reviewing movies, when I started making my own movies after writing about them, you start looking at movies from a different perspective. And so you're, when, you, when you review them, you're, you're actually a pre, you, you actually go, oh, that was actually really good. Okay, I know what they went through. You know, so you, you actually, it, it, it's easy to rip apart a movie. I mean, that's, that's the easiest thing in the world. Oh, this yeah, sucks. This, right. is, this is stupid. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Why do they do that? But reviewing it from the perspective of, oh, okay, I can see what they're trying to do as a filmmaker, that, that is a completely different thing. And so, like, you know, a lot of, I, I get asked this occasionally, like, oh, do you have a problem with people making fun of your movies? It's like, look, if people are talking about my movies or watching my movies, that means people are watching my movies and you want people yeah. to do that. <laughs> I, you know, the stuff people say cannot be worse than the stuff that I say in, in editing or whatever. We, we, rip, we rip apart you know just just from just from the sheer fact of trying to make a movie and editing you you're ripping it apart day by day it's like no okay this isn't working this isn't working and you know the faults you know where the limitations are you know all this stuff and your goal is to try to to smooth off the edges and make it make it work so um so yeah it's and also when you're making the film like when you're a genre fan like you know i love movies and that's always i watch tons and tons of movies so you know the things to avoid like i I never have a woman fall in, in, a, in a movie. Uh, the only time I did that was in uh, Hansel and Gretel, and she had shackles on her legs, so I could justify why she fell. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't do that. There's just certain rules that I have for myself because I've seen too many movies that, you know, and when dialogue doesn't work, I go, that, that doesn't work, that doesn't make sense because that doesn't tie into it because I've seen so many movies. And so, you know, it's, I think that's a, that's a different perspective. So, you know, like I said, it's, I, I welcome you guys' criticisms and, and, you know, yeah. things you like and don't like. It, it's like, there's more that goes into a movie than just making a movie. And when you can view it from that perspective, I think it, it opens up uh, the world to you. You know, it opens up a different way of watching things. I, I agree. And I, I, I actually really appreciate your sentiment on that one. Um, Cause like I said, we didn't want to be the traditional, Hey, let's, 
destroy your movie and this and that because it is pretty easy so i think when we first started out we uh we did that initially just because like you said it was easy but we're we're evolving now to kind of adapt a more inclusive viewpoint on it and um i think you pretty much just echo that right now yeah Um, yeah basically say like here's the thing is the easy thing is like for someone this is the other thing i always say is like if i appreciate the reviews that actually go into detail why they like or don't like something when it's just kind of face value, I know that they haven't watched the movie here or they don't really care. And right. so I bet I, you know, if someone get, you know, wrote a review and then ripped the movie apart and said, these are all the reasons why this doesn't work, I would respect that more than just this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fake. Yeah. <laughs> so uh with that being said, man, how do how do our listeners find you? What's what's the best way for them to look you up and stuff? You can find me uh my, on Twitter, it's AC Ferrante. Uh, A-C-F-E-R-R-A-N-T-E on Instagram it's Anthony C. Ferrante F-E-R-R-A-N-T-E you could follow my band uh, which is Quint which I have with Robbie Wrist uh, Twitter it's Quint the Band uh, Q-U-I-N-T the Band Facebook and uh, it's the same thing Quint the Band and then uh, on Spotify you can find us under Quint uh, we have uh, you know pretty much every single song that we've done for the sharknado movies are up there ballad of sharknado uh, sharknado rhapsody you know and all the other random things that we did for the the various films um so follow us there like us on there that helps us out and uh, you could purchase our music on on spotify and then sharknado 5 is on on all the formats you can buy it at best buy the blu-ray has uh, all the special features and it's an extended cut as well uh, I think that the the, the cool thing, the other thing too, I, I keep babbling, but the other thing about all <laughs> the DVD cut, the, the DVD cuts of the movie, uh, a lot of people don't realize it are actually the better versions of the movie because we have six months to make a Sharknado movie from start to finish, and so in some ways they're kind of abandoned in the sense of like we have to just we got to get it finished, and on the DVD we're kind of allowed to go in and. You know, we'll fix a few visual effect shots. We'll kind of add a couple things back in. I actually like cutting things out so that they're always saying, oh, okay, you can do whatever you want with it. It's like, can I cut two minutes out of it? So they, they actually have, they're kind of, there's a lot of little tweaks and stuff with, with the DVD cuts that I think are kind of interesting. So um, it's not just like throwing stuff in just to throw it in. So... And that's, uh, I think that, and Forgotten Evil, you can find on, I think, Amazon Prime and iTunes. And uh, yeah, and that's that's all the stuff that we're working on. And hopefully Wayward Canyon, or Faraway Canyon, will uh, will we'll eventually uh, hit it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping that actually comes to fruition, because I think that'd be pretty cool to check out. Um, so there you go, listeners. That's that's our, our time here with Anthony C. Ferrante. He's been awesome. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Please go and show him some love. Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, at Best Buy. Buy all the DVDs if you got to. <laughs> Knock the Best Buy guy out if you have to. I don't even care. But uh, show this guy some love. He's, he's really passionate about his projects, and uh, I think it really comes out in the product. Um, once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, it's been so much fun. No, thank uh, you, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, Jones, you got anything to add before we, 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 we head out, man? No, I'm not going to bed tonight. Okay. <laughs> Chris? <laughs> Nope. Um, I just, uh, you know, again, thank you so much. This has been a great, it's been awesome getting an insight into, uh, you know, in, into a movie that uh, I've actually heard of. 
<laughs> this is this is amazing. You know, it's it's great. So thank you again. All right, guys. Take All right. it easy. Yeah, have a good one, man. Appreciate Thanks. It. Okay, no worries. Bye. All right, Culture Lusters, Seven Sinners. That was that was our interview with Anthony C. Ferrante, uh, or ACF as we've been referring to him in the in the back alleys of Seven Nearly Sins. Uh God, that the what a blast. Like that guy's so cool. Um show show him your love, show us your love, hit us up on Facebook. Like I said, we got the Facebook group now. Uh so Seven Nearly Sins, you can search for or Culture Lust, it'll direct you to the same page. Join our group, join our community. Start sharing, you know, your thoughts on the show with us. Let us know what you thought about Anthony C. Ferrante. Dude is awesome. Hit us up on Twitter, of course, at 7 Early Sins. That's probably where we spend the majority of our time is that in Facebook. Come hang out with me on Twitch. Uh, you know, Daylight Gamer. I'm going to be streaming a lot. So I got my, got my setup going. So I'm, I'm going to be streaming a lot, man. And then, of course, our Discord link is in the description. If you want to chat with us while we're recording... I mean, I got Discord open right here, right next to me, so you can totally be chit-chatting with us as we're recording this. And then, uh, of course, Patreon, if you want to show us some love, since we did bring you Anthony C. Ferrante, fresh to your eardrums, exclusive for Culture Lust, the Sharknado Saga. You know, if you, want to, if you want to show us some love for that, we'd appreciate it, but we'll take your feedback, too. Hit us up on iTunes. Give us those reviews. We read them. We take them to heart. We try and adapt and overcome and improve our show. So hit us hit us up, man. Um I guess we gotta choose a movie for next week, huh? Oh yes. Yeah, what that we do. That we do. Oh, uh, we know what that sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> I mean it's I mean we're riding high off of, you know, Anthony C. Ferrante, so I hit hit me hit me with it, Chris. I don't even care. It, you can oh. tell me that we're doing Freddy in the Sky again. Don't even care. No, no, no. <laughs> so, you guys. So there's this production company out there right now. Oh, doing stuff, making movies. Making that dollar, dollar, hey, billion. Hey, we're not talking about Harvey Weinstein, oh, no. are we? No, okay. we are not. <laughs> because we don't get political here on Culture Lust. They're under. Didn't they get bought out? I don't know. but We keep things light and airy. Just like, you know. Like my shit. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if you've heard of this small little, I don't, you know, like a studio, this little company called WWE. Oh, Jesus no. Christ. Oh, yes. <laughs> WWE Studios brings us the 2010 film starring none other than former WWE. World heavyweight champion. Actually, I don't know if he was ever the world heavyweight champion, but I know he was at one time the WWE. Ch- I can't. The Marine. He was at one time the WWE champion, Paul White, aka the Big Show, starring in Knucklehead. Oh, I've seen this. This is a good one. This is actually pretty funny. What? Yeah. You totally ruined that big like <laughs> intro that I had for this. Well, I mean. If it was, what's the one where he's like the the killer dude in the uh... hell of hell of? Oh, you mean see no evil? Yeah, yeah. That that wasn't Paul White. That was uh, that was Glenn Jacobs, Kane. aka Cade. Which, by the way, right. uh, other big white. So dude. anybody knows, see no evil two far superior than the original. I haven't seen the second. Actually, and believe it or not, Chris, I kind of enjoyed the first one. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. Then we're going to have to go off script and go away from Netflix, and I'm going to have to, like, just randomly pull that one up. I might, I might have to check out the second one. So we're doing Knucklehead, but, uh, right? Is that that's what you We said? are doing Knucklehead. Right. 2010's Knucklehead. Cool, man. Starring... This, is, this is a... It's nothing I'm... Well, I'm not, we'll save the review for the episode, but... Yeah, you heard it here, listeners. Go check out Knucklehead. For all you wrestling fans out there. Yeah. There's a lot of you out there too, I'm sure. But all right, yeah, we probably lost all our listeners by making fun of it. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a fan, so I will keep those listeners. Well, tune, okay, tune listeners. in next week for the cage match for the WWE Heavyweight Title when we throw down a knucklehead. I'm James Jones. You you want to say goodbye to our listeners? No, I'm not going to bed tonight after that interview. Oh. Fair enough, man. Chris, you want to say goodbye to our listeners? I do. I do. Uh, mostly because I'm not going to bed either. But that's just because I am going to sit here and watch WWE Network all night. <laughs> well, I don't want to say goodbye to our listeners either. Because goodbye sounds so final. So, until next time, seven nerdly sinners and culture lessers. We'll see you next time.